Thank you, Brother Dale. I want to uh, spend a little bit of time tonight uh, just talking to you from my heart about us and uh, about our church. And one of the things that uh, I've talked to Brother Dale and Brother Isaac about, uh, it's a burden on my heart, and that is whenever people leave the church, especially uh, not so much to go to another church, but when they leave and they just fall away and they're not going anywhere, they're not serving the Lord, and then whenever they do get right with God, they don't come back here. Have you noticed? And they're embarrassed and... Um, I don't know, a lot of things like that. And my heart would be, for example, uh, I think most every family has had uh, a child or a grandchild or a niece or nephew or something go into rebellion. And they go into rebellion. They hate their family. They don't want to be around the family anymore. They move as far away for, as possible for the family. But whenever they get into trouble, what do they do? Most of the time, they call mom, or they call dad, or they call grandma or grandpa or somebody, and they want help because they know their family is willing to help them. And my uh, the kind of the thesis of what I'm talking about tonight is that's the way I want our church to be, where when people do stray, and they will, and when they get away from the Lord, and they will, but when life gets so tough and the discipline of God, if they're saved, gets so strong that the first place they think of coming back is Graceway. The first people they want to see are you. The first thing they want to do is to get things right as they certainly should. And that doesn't always happen. I don't know if it's unique to our church or not because I don't know of any research that's really done on that all I know is what I see and uh, I want people that when they come back not to be shamed or embarrassed or anything like that I want them to feel loved and welcomed and affirmed which means that our hearts have to be knit together okay all of us and we are working in the power of the Holy Spirit to reclaim those people who have fallen away. It means we need to think about them. It means we need to pray for them. It means we need to reach out to them. It means we don't just let them go and uh, do whatever they want to do. And we'll talk a little bit about more, a little bit more about that in a second. I want to give you some scriptures because I think most of the time in Southern Baptist churches, we talk about and emphasize the Great Commission. We got a witness to the lost. We've got to get those lost people saved. Well, amen. That certainly is true. But uh, I think there's another side of it that we don't always emphasize or uh, think about very much. For example, in the Great Commission, it's obvious that's about going after the lost. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, that tells us they're new believers because you don't baptize people that are backslidden. They're already baptized. And this is for a new believer, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So 
If you really want to feel, you you say in your life, I just don't feel the presence of God. Well, Jesus tells you here, start witnessing. Put yourself out there. Tell other people about Jesus. Hand out gospel tracts. Those type of things because uh, you don't have to pray, Lord, be with us while we go witness. He's already told you that he is. And so uh, practice the presence of the Lord. But also know that when we talk about reclaiming people, we might be talking about lost people. Maybe they've gone through Baptist, the baptistry. Maybe they've gone through different programs of the church. But we cannot negate what the Apostle John said in 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Now, that should never make us feel good. And I've heard over the years far too many people go, well, they're they're probably not saved anyway. Well, Well, shame on us if we would ever think that. It may be true, and we may need to think about it, and we should be burdened about it, but we should never, ever, listen to me, we should never, ever be flippant about it or use it as an excuse as to why we don't try to reach them but far too easy it's far too easy to go well you know they hadn't been to Sunday school in 10 years they're probably not even saved well how much effort have you put into finding out how much prayer have you put into it because see that statement they're probably not saved should actually break our hearts And it should actually cause us to be even more concerned and to double our efforts at trying to reach them because eternity is at stake as far as we know, right? And so uh, that's the kind of thing that we ought to have compassion for the lost, even lost church members. I was one of them. Some of you, I know, have been a lost church member before and thank the Lord for His grace and His mercy, but also He used people during that time to give us the gospel to show us the truth and to bring us to know him so when we talk about the great commission we certainly are talking about people outside of the church but we very well may be talking about people that we know people that are in our family people that were in our Sunday school class people that used to sit and worship with us it might be that they are false converts and that certainly should bother us but there's another emphasis and uh, these are some verses that talk about the sheep they talk about the sheep now I'm going to make a premise here that when Jesus talks about separating the sheep from the goats that the sheep are the ones who belong to him and the goats are the ones who don't belong to him okay so when I think about it like that And then I read these verses. In John chapter 10, verse 24 through 28, to the Jews gathered around him, uh, so the Jews, pardon me, that makes more sense, gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, And you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness uh, about me. 
But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Boy, how many of you say amen to that verse about just the security that we have in Christ because we are his sheep? Okay, so I guess that verse means that every one of Christ's sheep always follow him and they always do what's right and you never find any of the sheep going astray. Or do you? Because I'm going to say that you all stray as I do, maybe not for long, maybe for a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, maybe an hour or a few hours, maybe for a day or two, maybe it goes on for a week or two, maybe it goes longer than that. We've all had those periods in our life where we've been cold and distant from the Lord. And you know what we're doing at that time? We're basically saying uh, to the Lord, scoot over and I'll sit on the throne for a while. Okay? Take a break. Need a cup of coffee, Lord? Uh, take a break. I've got this. And we play that kind of game because we want to be sovereign over our lives. We want to write the script. We want to make the plan. We want to do things our way. You remember in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where Jimmy Stewart says, I want to do what I want to do. Well, that's the cry of the human heart. That's the problem you have with your toddlers. That's the problem you have with your teenagers. That's the problem the Lord has with us. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and uh, that's a problem. And the old hymn writer got it right when he said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, because we all do to some degree. Now think about Matthew 18, 12 through 14. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now that's talking about the sheep. Because sometimes sheep, well, they wander off. They're defenseless. They're in danger. They're in peril. There are wolves, bears, lions, things like that. And sheep are not too smart, are they? And we find out all the time there are things that we do and we go, why did I do that? Why did I think that was a good idea? Why did I not do what God said to do? Why did I not do what I knew was right? And, of course, the Scripture tells us, to him that knows to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. So we all go astray. But let's be honest, some have a harder time returning and repenting than others do. Now, again, maybe they're lost, but then what if they're not? And what if these are people who, if you talk to them, they do believe the Bible. If you talk to them, they do believe in salvation 
by grace through faith. They believe in the shed blood of Christ as the only atonement for their sin. You say, well, then they're okay. Are they? Are they? They're not going to grow as they should unless they're in a local body. They're not going to be taught and fed as they should be unless they're in a local body. This is what God has designed. It's the will of God for all of His sheep, His children, to be in fellowship with Him, in fellowship with a local church, having been baptized into that local church, and then being doctrinally sound, learning everything that the Lord has obeyed. That's clear in the Great Commission. And anybody who is not in line with that is not in the will of God. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how spiritual they seem. They're not in line with the will of God. That is, of course, the will of God for all of us. And sometimes the sheep go astray and somebody's supposed to go after them. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, a little more pointed. Brothers, Christians, right? Church. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness or meekness and keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. It seems like whenever we hang around people that are compromisers, our flesh starts going, well, if they can do it, I can do it. If they don't have to come, I don't have to come. If they don't have to give, I don't have to give. If they don't have to be a witness, why should I be a witness? We're always looking for that instead of being what we know we ought to be in spite of what other people do and trying to be a good influence on them so that, uh, well, how bold is it that the Apostle Paul could say, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Are you confident enough and bold enough and consistent enough to tell somebody, if you don't know what to do, just follow me because I'm following Christ. It sounds really arrogant, doesn't it, to do that? Sounds like we're putting ourselves out there and setting ourselves up for a fall. And we may be if we're not really consistent with that. But that was the heart of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to follow hard after Christ. I'm going to be like David, a man after God's own heart. And if you follow me, I won't be perfect, but you'll be going in the right direction. Can you really say that? Well, sometimes people stray and they get caught up in a sin. And then Paul made this statement, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Well, I would never do that. You just admitted you're not a spiritual person. You're not where you ought to be. The spiritual people are compassionate. They are caring about these people. And they just can't stand to let them wander and uh, to be hurt. James chapter 5 verse 19. Maybe more of these than you thought. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In other words, whenever you go after somebody, pray for them, care for them, stay in contact with them, 
And as the door is open, you might even plead with them to get right with God and come back to the church. You're really being like Jesus, the good shepherd of the sheep. And he's using you to reach out to one of his. So in this, what I've attempted to do is to show <coughs> it is about the lost. And it is about the world. It is about missions. It is about evangelism. But it's not only about missions and evangelism. We are supposed to be concerned about Christians who have fallen away. Christians who are in sin. So I want you to do something sometime, maybe this next week. Get a church directory. Okay? And I want you to take some time and I want you just to read through the names. Maybe you've got an old directory laying around the house. Maybe even a directory with pictures. And I want you to look in it. And I want you to look at some of the people that you used to be friends with. Maybe you still are. With people that you used to worship with. With people that seemed to be at one time right with God and in pursuit of God. Holy Loving the Lord, hungering for His Word, hungering for fellowship. And you look at that picture and you go, I don't even know if they're going to church now or not. That should bother us. That should cause us to shed a few tears. That could cause us to be fearful about their eternal destiny. Maybe they're not really saved. It could be. Or maybe they are. And they've been living under the chastisement of God for so long. They don't know what the joy of the Lord is. They don't know what the peace of God is that passes understanding. They have no idea what it is to walk in the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the sad thing is they have gotten used to it. Now what happens when a rebellious child in any family gets used to walking in rebellion and being... Uh, punished, disciplined all of the time. After a while, they go, well, that's no big deal. I can handle that. Oh, is that all you got? And they continue on in it. And so it has to become more severe until it gets their attention. So a loving God who, according to Hebrews 12, disciplines every child that he receives, what does he do with the stubborn? What does he do with those who continue to resist the will of God as they know it to be in the Word of God. Well, to me, it would seem as though the discipline is going to get more and more severe. In fact, the Bible even says that there is a sin unto death. There have been a few people that I have buried that their testimony was not real consistent. And yet they had a testimony that they had trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord. And I was agonizing over that one time. <clears throat> how could this person, this casket, this person in the casket in front of me, how in the world does this square with Scripture when they don't show the fruit of salvation? And then the thought occurred to me, that might be why they're in the casket. The Lord said to them, to quote the pastor Sammy and I grew up under, I have promised to make you like Christ. Romans 8, 29. And if, I, if you won't cooperate with it down here, I'll take you home where it'll be instantaneous. But it will be done. And so we think about people like that, 
and we go, what is the Lord going to do in order to get their attention? And so we pray for them. Oh, Lord, give them a tender heart. Give them a renewed mind. Bring circumstances into their life that cause them to come to the place where they have no other place to turn but you. And please, Father, spare their life and bring them to repentance before the ultimate happens. That's what we would love to see. We want everybody to be right with God, fruitful, walking with Him, and to uh, have great reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And so we have to be thinking like that. So what are the odds that you might be a wanderer? Oh, I would never do that. Uh, well, let me give you a word of caution. Don't ever say never, because I've seen people that have been just like you that I never would have thought they would ever stray from the Lord. But they did. But they did. Some of them into pretty bad sin. And so uh, when we think about that, we need to remember the, the old saying, there but for the grace of God go I. And we need to think about the fact that we could be the next. We could be the next person who strays from the Lord. It's amazing how little it takes to get our attention and to pull us away from what the Lord wants us to do. So then I would ask you, okay, knowing who you are, what you believe, where you are now, I'll just ask you a question. If you were to stray from the Lord this next week, what would you want your brothers and sisters to do? Ignore you? Forget about you in a couple of weeks? Not think about you much? Be angry with you? Shame you and embarrass you? What would you want them to do? And I think the bottom line in all of this really does come back to the golden rule. You treat other people the way that you want to be treated, right? And so think about that. If you were to stray from the Lord, wouldn't it feel good to have somebody call and check on you? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it feel good to have somebody maybe stop by your house and say, could we have a cup of coffee and just talk a little bit? Wouldn't it feel good to get a card in the mail saying, you were missed, you matter, and we love you? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it feel good to have people that were really concerned about your life and concerned about your soul? And so that's the way we have to be as we approach all of this. What would I want someone to do for me now granted we're all different and the things that reach me might not reach you and the things that reach you might push me further away I don't know but it's the kind of thing that I think we need to think about because whatever it is that we do whatever it is we feel led to do there better be a how in the way we do it and how should we do it with a broken and compassionate caring and loving heart not with a self-justifying, I'm right, you're wrong, and you better get right and be more like me. That doesn't win anybody over. That just raises up defenses. What we need to do is to show people that we really care. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love is true for all of us. So whose job is it to go after the wandering sheep? Is that just only the pastor, long as he's doing it, we're okay. Well, I can only be so many places at once. And there are some people 
that do not talk to me and do not listen to me when I try to contact them. Now, I've been blessed. There have been a few people lately that all of a sudden when I text them, they started texting back. Bill Engel, I miss him. And uh, he has texted me and thanked me for praying, and I'm going to ask you to pray for him. He's got cancer, and he's having an infusion of chemotherapy this next week. Pray for him. How many other people are out there that we could minister to, and maybe the Lord is creating an opportunity for us to do something for them, to show love for them, and to help them along the way. It's the kind of thing to where we can't just give up, and if all of us do it, then some of the people that may not respond to me might respond to you, and vice versa. And this is why we all need to be involved in all of this. Now, I found a pretty shocking statistic. This is not just for our church or our denomination even. This is across the board. Did you know 82% of the people that drop out of churches drop out in the first year of membership? Now, you wouldn't do that. I didn't do that. But apparently a lot of people are. So what are we going to do about that? Are we simply going to say, well, they're probably not saved anyway and forget about them? Or are we going to have a burden for them? Why? Why? One survey found that people don't bond to a church if they don't make a friend and if they don't get a job within that first year, and probably a lot less than that. They need to know that they're wanted. They need to know that they're valued. They need to know that they are included. They need to know that they are loved. And sometimes, as a church family, without doing it, we have our little cliques and our little jobs and our little ministries, and we kind of like the way we do it. Us for and no more. And somebody tries to join it, and we sort of unintentionally just kind of freeze them out. We don't do it like that. No, no, you're doing that wrong. Let us just take care of that. We've got this. You just go sit down and, and rest and relax. We'll take care of it. What does that do? <coughs> it makes them feel, number one, like they really don't have a friend. Because a friend would say, come join us. Come help us. Let us do this. And we've got to get better about that. And secondly, whenever we say, oh, 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 we've got that all taken care of, that gives them the subtle message of, we don't really need you. There's no point in you being here. And so they go, well, maybe I'll find a friend and a job, a ministry, we might say. And maybe I'll find it at the church down the street. Maybe I'll find it at another place. I thought it was here, but I'll find it somewhere else. And that's the kind of thing that we have to watch out for. We have to make sure that we are hospitable. We have to make sure that everything about the church is something where the uh, barriers that the enemy would put up and that the flesh would put up are all taken down. I mean, that can also mean things like the way the church is furnished and cleaned and arranged and signs and all of that. Yeah, we get all of that. But it also can be this. How was I treated 
when I came in. Did anybody really talk to me? Or when they talked to me, did they just do the nice thing and say, Hi, good to see you, but don't stop me. And they walk on by and they go talk to their friends, sit with their friends. You know, really, the truth is, you can do that anytime you want to. It doesn't have to be just at church. But what about that visitor who doesn't know where to sit? How about that visitor who, they don't remember where the nursery is. In fact, I was talking with a visitor this morning that was here, and he couldn't remember where he parked. And we figured it out, and then I was able to show him how to get out there so he could get home. How embarrassing would it be to have a visitor out on the parking lot, wandering around, looking around, going, where did I put my car? And other people are driving by, and they may wave, and they may honk, and all that does is further his embarrassment. That's the kind of thing to where we have to engage with people and show them and make sure they know where the restrooms are, to make sure they know how to get to the auditorium after Sunday school. <clears throat> we had a lady visiting in our class a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Sammy asked her, do you know how to get to the auditorium? And you know what she said? No. Well, bring them down. Help them out. They may not remember where the nursery is. Where is that thing? How, which stairway did I go up? How do I get back to that? That's where you go to them and say, do you have children in the nursery? Yeah, I sure do. Would you like for me to show you where that is? Yeah, I, I really would. Do you know where the restrooms are? Uh, anything like that at all that shows love and care, respect and honor. They are our guests and we should treat them like royalty whenever they come. Because we want to take down every barrier that they might have. And so the enemy will point out everything. If something's dirty, if something's untidy, if something's unkept, well, you know it's going to be pointed out by the enemy. So let's take that away. If we are friendly, but the only way we're friendly is when we're supposed to be, and friendly because we have to be, what does that really say to the person that they're only doing this because somebody asked them to do it. Or somebody said it's time where we shake hands and greet our guests. But we don't do it any other times. Listen, it makes more impact when you talk to a visitor before church and after church. When nobody is telling you, man, that is what causes them to think and assume that we're a friendly church. So those are the kind of things that we need to do and we need to be careful about they need a friend and they need a job 62 percent of the dropouts say that they are open open to returning what if we were able to pull that off can you imagine 62 percent i don't know if they're telling the truth or not they may just be saying that because it's the right thing to say but what if it's right and what if some of those people that have dropped out of our, of our church would come back if they thought that they were wanted, if they thought that they were welcome. I know that shouldn't matter. They should do it for the glory of the Lord. But they're not there, obviously, or they'd be in church. Maybe they got their feelings hurt. Maybe somebody said something rude. You ever had anybody say anything rude to you at church? happens doesn't it maybe you've done it to somebody else and you didn't mean it but it was 
taken that way. Sometimes people get hurt. Sometimes they misunderstand. Or maybe it's somebody that you meet and they're a member of another church, but they haven't been in 15 years. Well, they need to be going somewhere. And you invite them here and they think you're a friendly person and they relate to you and they go, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try your church. I mean, we're not in competition with other churches and they're not in competition with us. We're all supposed to be about the kingdom of God and these sheep that have gone astray. And so I would just say, whenever you think about some of these people, don't just assume, well, they know where we are. They know how to come back. That's not what the shepherd does. And so to be like Jesus, we need to, well, think about these things. How about inviting them? How about just saying, man, we've missed you at church. We've missed you in Sunday school. We would love to have you back. Why don't, why don't you come with me this next week or something like that? Just invite them. You might be surprised who might come if they realize that they don't have to walk in to this big empty building alone and have everybody when they start coming in looking at them and saying things to them that are very uncomfortable. How about making a phone call? How about if you called one of those people and say, hey, I had not talked to you in a while. I was wondering, how are you doing? How are things going with your family? How are things going with the job? How can I pray for you? And just take that and pray for them and then hang up. And what you're doing is you're planting a seed. I care for you. And I'm taking you before God. And maybe before you hang up, you say, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, brother, it's been good to talk to you. I'll see you in church on Sunday. And hang up real quick. What are you doing? You're planting the seed. You're planting the thought. Maybe they haven't thought about it in a long time. But now all of a sudden they're thinking, could the Holy Spirit use that? You bet he could. Could the thought be planted in there and it reaches their conscience? You bet it could. Because Hebrews 10.25 says something interesting. Not neglecting to meet together. Now this next phrase. As is the habit of some. Why'd you come to church tonight? I was so hungry and I wanted to hear what Pastor Greg had to say. I could not stay away. Now don't hurt my feelings. Probably you came because you do. It's just what you do. Why do most people go to church on Sunday morning? I'm going to lay out the fact that it's not because they woke up with a hunger to glorify God. They, they should. We all should. And that they're ready to fellowship, ready to learn, ready to grow, ready to worship, ready to pray, ready to give, and they just can't wait. Wouldn't that be great? But I got a sneaking suspicion that probably about 90% come because it's just what we do. It's a habit. Now, am I dogging that? No. I want you to have good habits. And I want you to be in the habit of coming instead of, as the writer of Hebrews says, the habit of laying out. Because you know how it goes. You miss one Sunday, it's easier to miss two. You miss two, it's easier to miss four. You miss five or six, and you're embarrassed to go back. You don't really want to see anybody at Walmart or anywhere else, much less church. You don't want the looks and you don't want the questions. You don't want to have to give any account of your life. You know the drill. You know how it is. Because we're all the same when it comes to that, right? 
And so we look at this kind of thing and we realize there's got to be a way to open the door. There's got to be a way to have a point of contact. I remember going up to a person one time, as after I was pastor here, and they opened the door and they said, oh, I'm surprised to see you. And I said, I'm here to tell you, you need to get your rear end back in church. Uh, let me ask you a question. Want to lay money on it? You think they came? Or not? Not. I was rude. I was insensitive. I was arrogant. And I thought, man, bless God, I'm the pastor of this church. They better listen to me. Wow. So uh, maybe I've grown a little wiser. Maybe a little kinder in my old age. And you know, we do things like that without realizing it. How many of you at a funeral recently saw somebody that you used to go to church with and they don't go anymore? What do you say to them? Well, where have you been? Well, that's going to make them real attracted to you. That's going to make them. And sometimes, hey, listen, whenever people come into church, whether it's for a funeral, wedding, church service, whatever, please don't make a joke. I'm going to beg you, stop joking because you offend them. And it's funny to you. Well, I guess the ceiling's going to fall in when you get in here. Ha, ha, ha. That's not funny. That's not attractive. That doesn't bless anybody. And that does not say welcome. That says justify yourself. That is pointing out you are wrong and you've been unfaithful. That's not really our job, is it? That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So when they come in, you just smile. And you walk over to them and give them a hug. And say, man, it's so good to see you. I love you. You want to sit with me? You want to go to lunch after church is over? Whatever it is, you can do like that. And leave them with a good taste in their mouth instead of leaving them with demons going, see, I told you they're a bunch of self-righteous snobs. I told you they didn't really care about you and all they want to do is shame you and embarrass you and snob you. What good does that ever do? And uh, it doesn't. So we want uh, to see things happen. Steps to maturity. We want people to build good habits that may be where it starts, but I hope it doesn't end there. hope it's more than that. We want them to be useful in the kingdom, find something to do that does more than just do something for <coughs> us or self or the church, but the kingdom of God. This is big business that we're in. We want them to grow up. Every parent wants their kid to grow. And then we want them to reproduce. Not everybody can. Not everybody should at whatever stage they're in right now. But the goal would be for them to grow up, lead people to Christ, disciple them. How long has it been since you've led somebody to Christ? That's the mark of maturity, to reproduce yourself, to make disciples. That's what the goal is. So that's what we want for other people as well as for ourselves and those that we love. 
I would ask you a question because I have heard it said around here, well, God's sovereign. If he wants them back, they'll get back. Okay, do you apply that to your three-year-old? What do you mean? Your three-year-old grandchild or child is missing. Nobody can find them. They wandered off. They're in the woods. What do you do? Well, God's sovereign. I'm going to go home and watch TV. You would never do that. Now, is it true God's sovereign? Of course it is. But do you have a responsibility? Yeah. And it's more than just a responsibility. I can imagine if you're a grandparent of a three-year-old and I see you out in the woods, what are you doing? Well, I got a lost grandchild and uh, it'll look bad if I don't go after him. That wouldn't happen. You would be heartbroken. If you saw your three-year-old about to run out into traffic, would you just go, well, I guess if God wants them to live, they'll live. I'm going inside and drink iced tea. You would never do that. Well, what are we doing with God's children? Do we care that they're being ravaged? Do we care that the enemy is ensnaring them? Do we care that they are hurting themselves? We've got to have a heart of compassion. And so uh, this, this is the way it needs to work and to move. And that's why we have, uh, try to have monthly fellowships. I would invite you. I would encourage you, invite lost people to that. Invite unchurched people to that. But invite some of our dropouts to that too. They may feel weird coming back in here, but they would come and eat something with all of us. And it makes an open door. Even in your Sunday school class, have fellowships that people can come to and that they can be a part of. And invite inactives for that. And build relationships and involve them in uh, maybe some kind of a service project. Oh, we've got a widow that needs tree uh, limbs trimmed. You want to help me with that? I mean, something like that that they might get involved in. And use your common interest. If you play golf, I don't, but if you do, invite them to play golf with you. Invite them to play checkers with you. I don't care. Invite them to go eat with you. Uh, Whatever you need to do, just find some common interest. And uh, this all makes me think of... I mentioned this before, the old Motel 6 commercial. We'll leave the light on for you. And I think that's the way it ought to be at church. In May 3rd, 1999, we had that big tornado come through Moore. And people would come out of their houses up on Nail Parkway and places like that. They didn't know where to go. And one of the cops that was helping there said, Hey, you see over there that big cross on that church? Yeah, follow the cross and you'll be safe. Head to the cross and you'll be safe. Hey, folks, isn't that really our message? Come to Jesus. There's forgiveness for the lost. But come to Jesus. There's also forgiveness for the saved. This is how you get right with God. In John 21, we find that the disciples have said, I'm going fishing. And by that, they didn't mean I need to relax. I'm under stress. I'm going to go wet a worm or anything like that. They meant I'm going back to the fishing business. I don't understand this, especially Peter. He had denied the Lord and he didn't really see that there was any hope or future for him with Jesus. And so they went out and they go fishing. You remember the story? (coughs) One of the disciples says to Peter, it's the Lord on the shore. And Peter, for whatever reason, jumps in the water and swims. It's like he couldn't wait to get back to Jesus. What was it like? Now, 
If it's the Jesus most of us think of, he'd be standing there with a whip. Peter, I'm going to take it out of your hide. How dare you disgrace me and deny me? You will pay. Is that your view of Christ? You know what I found when I read John 21? When Peter comes on the shore, the Lord Jesus said, I've got breakfast. We're going to have a fellowship. we got some food. Do you remember when H.D. Patterson, when all those years Terry would come by herself and with her kids? But H.D. would show up whenever there was a fellowship. He liked to eat. You know what happened? We eventually baptized him right back there, didn't we? Yeah, because there's something about food and there's something about eating together and all of that that is incredible. You'll notice, too, as you look through all of those things, just the kindness of Jesus. And there he is saying, bring your fish in here. Look, we got the charcoal fire here. Let's, let's uh, eat together. It wasn't just Peter. It was for all of them. And how kind he was, not rebuking them for being out on the lake, not telling them what sorry outfits they were, even though they were. What an amazing thing that we find there with the Lord. And then Peter is restored. I think it's John 21 that set him up for preaching on Pentecost. The God denier, the Christ denier, now is standing up in front of thousands of people proclaiming Christ. And 3,000 souls get saved. And Peter becomes an effective person for Christ. Yeah. Well, how did the Lord treat him and how did the Lord do that with him? How did the Lord restore him? And uh, I think this is the kind of thing that we need to think about. And we need to learn. And we need to follow the model of the Lord Jesus Christ. Making breakfast. Being kind. He was personal with Peter and with the other ones. And then he was focused on his sheep. Because it's even there with Peter that when he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, oh, Lord, you know I do. Three times, once for every time Peter denied him. And what does the Lord respond with all three times? Feed my what? Sheep. Because the sheep matter to Christ. Even the ones that stray. Even the ones that are not where they ought to be. Because Peter was one of those in the Sea of Galilee. And what happens? Jesus pursued him Jesus restored him. Let's follow the model of Christ. Go home, get yourself a directory, and make yourself a prayer list of people that are no longer active in our church. Now, we don't want to steal them from other churches. If they went to another church, good for them. That's fine. But a lot of them aren't. And we need to make it a matter of prayer and be burdened for them and be burdened for their children, their families. And we need to ask the Lord, how can I turn the light on so that they will follow the cross to safety? They need to be back. How can we treat them? What can we use in order to bring them back and let them see we're not mad at them? We're not angry at them. We're not here to embarrass them. We love them. We care for them. We want them back. What can we do? And here's my prediction. 
if everything we've said tonight is true from the Word of God, and the Lord Jesus has a heart for His straying sheep, He'll guide you into that way, and He'll give you the same heart that He had. And what if we did that in a spirit of victory, in a spirit of power, in a spirit of love? What if we did that because we loved the Lord we wanted Him to be glorified, worshipped, and honored in everybody's lives. And also because we just loved that person too much to just let them go off without anybody caring. Would you think about that? Would you consider that? And would you do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do for the glory of God? And that's just a little bit of where my heart is right now, how it's changed over the years, and how hopefully it's from maturing that we would become the church that is known as the church that really cares and really does love. So let's close with a word of prayer, okay? And I appreciate your attentiveness. Now, now my prayer would be that you put it into action. Father, who is it that we could reach? I know not everybody would come back, but maybe some would. Maybe there's a person that's on our heart tonight that we need to reach. And there's got to be a way to do it. And it's got to be more than just barking out commands or telling them where they're wrong. They know they're wrong. That's why they're embarrassed to come back. Let us be the ones that welcome them. Let us be the ones that take down the barriers. Let us be the ones that are happy, maybe even to the point of shedding tears of joy when we see them back. May we be the ones that help them to grow in the Lord and help them to become disciple makers one of these days. So who is it? Put a name, put a soul on our mind even now. Or as we look back at those old directories and let us begin to pour our heart out before you and to raise their name before the Lord. And we pray we would see miracles. And those people that we look at and we say, oh, they'll never be back. I pray they'd be the first ones to come back. And just to show us who you are. Just to show us how sovereign you are. Just to show us your greatness and your power. Just to overwhelm us and make our jaw just drop with amazement. We pray we would do this. And we pray that when we are ready for them to come back, expecting them to come back, may we greet them with open arms in the love and the kindness and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Can you say amen to that?